welcome to the B-Side Podcast. This is episode three. Today, Brian Keithley and I are discussing Death Cab for Cuties. We have the facts and we're voting yes. How are you doing, Keithley? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Uh, pretty well. Yeah, excited to talk about some Death Cab. Uh, one of my absolute all-time favorite bands. So we'll see, we'll see what we come up with there. Keithley is a resident death cab expert on this pod for sure. So <laughs> listen to hit, listen to what he says more in this pod than me. Well, I don't know about that, but we'll, we'll see. I've listened to him enough. I should have some things to say. So Chester, uh, you know, I've always been the big death cab fan, but I'm, I'm curious what your first memory associated with, with the band or with this album. Yeah. With this album, I didn't know who they were. Um, in 2001, I, I know this album was released in 2000, but I was slow on the draw. So in, I guess a year later, I had moved to Athens, Georgia for grad school. And they had a little record shop by the 40 watt called the Low Yo-Yo. Musicians would work the shop and it's a really small shop. And they had this, I remember this huge built to spill section. We'll talk about that later. But then far over that from just a couple rows down, they had this little D section. And what I noticed first was just the colors on the bottom of the CD. Wasn't cool enough to buy vinyl at the time, I guess, but I noticed the colors on the CD. I'm like, oh, Death Cab for Cutie. So the, the picture, yeah, the picture yeah. Grabbed, grabbed my attention. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pick this up. I had no idea what their sound was like, had any idea. So that was my first memory. I went home and put the CD in the CD case and listened to it. I'm like, okay, this is different than what I was listening to. Obviously, I was listening to Pearl Jam at the time, but also Elliot Smith. And some other things and I, I like the, the picked out not even chords I guess we'll get into that later with style but it sounded different it sounded more college rock so different than any college rock I was listening to at the time what about you what was your first well that's your death cap that's interesting so you just you just saw the album and bought it and checked yeah. it out random uh, well you know as someone who has said for a long time that death cab was my favorite band uh i didn't get into them until much later in the game so you were you were earlier to that party than i was chester uh this album blind, came out, blind luck yeah blind. well that, hey that happens man it came out in march of 2000 right so that's just a couple of months before i graduated high school i can't imagine knowing about death cab when i was a senior in high school i mean i was still very much like you said i was very much into like alternative uh, grunge, Seattle sound, which we'll talk about that Seattle sound kind of shift later, but, um, yeah, Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam and, and that kind of stuff. So if I listened to this when I was 18, I, I probably wouldn't have liked it that much. I would not have gotten it. Like you said, it had that college, uh, you know, college rock, indie rock kind of sound, um, that would have been different from what I was used to hearing on the radio. Cool. Well, you mentioned their college indie rock sound. How would you define Death Cab for Cutie's style? Maybe not just on this album, but in general, since you're the expert on it, how would you define their style? Did they evolve from what you heard on this album? Well, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And just, I mean, for me, I got into Death Cab, you know, transatlanticism era when they got bigger. And I had buddies in college that listened to it. I started hanging out with uh, one of my roommates was in the art school and uh, 
you know, some of these like hipster artist kids, you know, the filmmakers. And I love, I mean, they were awesome guys. Uh, Chad was one of those guys, my, you know, roommate in Nashville. Cool. Um, but I, my buddy Craig would go over there and he'd be playing like Iron and Wine and uh, Interpol and Death Cab. And so there's a few Death Cab songs that kept coming on. I was like, that's good. So I checked them out. And then Plans came out a year or so after that. And I was really into that. And then I went back. So I kind of went retroactively, you know, photo album and then this and then something about airplanes. They kind of added not layers of sophistication necessarily, but in the sound, they got a bigger sound as they went along. Right. And I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that as a criticism necessarily, but they, it, it's, you know, this has a much more lo-fi sound. Agreed. Right. And there's, you know, it, it kind of accentuates that in the opening of title track. Um, but yeah, they, he talked about his influence uh, from Built to Spill, mm -hmm. um, from, they, they cover um, songs by uh, the Smiths. There's a, there's a demo. They released it later as like a compilation, but it was, it's called, uh, You Can Play These Songs With Chords. And it essentially was Ben Gibbard's demo that he did. It was most of the songs that were on their first album that he recorded totally on his own really before he formed the band and then along with that there's some other uh covers and some other stuff a lot of what you would kind of consider the roots of like the uh indie movement of, of the 90s and early 2000s yeah built to spill you can hear some pavement in there um, pavement yeah yeah their their trajectory reminds me a lot of uh modest mouse uh, a kind of minimalist style in the beginning, yeah. uh, a very distinct kind of songwriting that isn't just playing chords or power chords, little, you know, and not even just riffs, but, you know, these kind of broken down guitar parts that are layered on top of each other uh, and not always necessarily, you know, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, whatever. They mess with song uh, structure and that kind of stuff and then as they as they went they got sort of a bigger following and I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just kind of the the natural evolution of a band that you reach a broader audience you know you start to write songs that are better maybe a little more accessible to more people uh, and that's kind of you know plans and beyond beyond that kind of did that when they got big and they were on you know they were on the OC and soundtracks and yeah. commercials and all that kind of stuff so i just remember transatlanticism there's that well the style for some reason i skipped not on purpose i didn't buy the photo album for some, for some reason i bought this album and then i bought transatlanticism in 2003 and then went back and bought the photo album but the style what you're talking about the lo-fi to the more produced i wouldn't say overproduced but a transatlanticism and then seeing them on the Vote for Change 2004 tour with Pearl Jam. They opened for him in Reading and Asheville, I saw. And they maybe only played one or two songs in both shows from this album. More of them were for Transatlanticism, obviously, right. from the year before. So I was hoping for 
a mix of both because I knew this album pretty well too, but not as much as the even the photo album at the time. But like yeah, we saw them I, Bonnaroo later, but right. I saw them for the first time in two thousand four. I I think it was I think it was Halloween actually. Cool. Which yeah, it was mostly transatlanticism stuff, and then a few a few things from photo album and and earlier. Which honestly, at that point, I didn't know those songs. So, I, if I could go back, I would <laughs> I'd I would love to experience that show again, knowing all those early you know early songs so i could appreciate them and not just standing there and going well i guess it's time for me to go get another drink you know (laughs) but like you said in the style just have one little point but what i noticed is just the lack of what you're talking about the verse chorus verse necessarily all the same bridge structure and then the it wasn't your typical guitar chords even minor or seventh chords it wasn't typical you have this picked out layered system like you're saying, so that drew my ear into just something different. It's like, oh, okay, let me yeah. listen, listen to this again. What are, what are they doing? And, and it was different than maybe what I was listening to at the time, except for, as I'm saying, maybe one or two L.A. Smith songs that do that, but he, it's not like all of his songs. So that's what I noticed about their style. Just, it was different than the power chords or, or basic chords I was listening to at the time. Yeah, and even... Um... Even like title track comes in with with a little picking picking part, but it's 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 um, it's like in rhythm with the song and with the the vocals, so it's relatively easy to pick up, right? And that one, right. it, that one is very much kind of a hook, but in a lot of the song, and actually, if you listen to the second verse, then they layer another guitar part over it, right? And it's not like guitar solos or like somebody shredding or doing anything fancy but it's just these real these subtle but layered guitar parts over the singing and that's the kind of thing honestly just the sound of the music took me a little while to get used to when I first listened to them and it was interesting Um, and at the same time again you know I was starting to get into Modest Mouse and Built This Bill and some of those other bands that kind of do similar things where it's not just like the radio rock where it's like you're going to have a, you know, one, four, five major, you know, kind of pop progression. It's going to be a little, like you said, a little more variation than that. And, and it's subtler. You, you have to spend a little more time to, to sort of soak it in. Agreed. All right. Where you mentioned it just slightly, but let's uh, just, before we jump into the album itself, what are, is just this the lo-fi like you talked about Modest Mouse? Is this their lo-fi phase before they get into the transatlanticism? Is that how you define this album? I would say it happens in in increments as they go. The something about airplanes is very lo-fi sounding. I mean, and I I love it because I can't imagine it being i mean it'd be interesting to hear it produced in like a big studio now with more resources right they just that one and this one they just recorded it at their house you know most of this one uh facts was recorded at chris walla's mom's house you know and they mixed it themselves and then i think they had somebody do the final mix later but but as they go you can you can see um some progressions in certain songs that have a slightly bigger sound here 
than you would have heard on on something about airplanes like company calls the first one uh for what reason those those songs have a lot of layered uh and they're kind of rock songs so you're hearing a little more in the production quality of it scientist studies i think is a is one that really hints at what's going to happen with the band later there's distortion and there's some Love feedback song. stuff going on but it's not again it's not like a heavy like a grungy kind of thing it's there's still that subtlety and um sort of artistic uses of those kind of sounds but they they do a lot more and then you hear more of that on the photo album where you start to hear some uh some not synth but you get some sort of beats some a little more electronic stuff just to kind of complement the songs and then you get i mean transatlanticism is a very cohesively produced album and then plans is like it sounds like a major label release yes you know so i, th I think it kind of goes in incrementally you can see the development in that in that direction all right, great. The last couple albums we've discussed on the podcast were more conceptual. Uh, we both watched Ben Gibbard's April 9th, 2020 YouTube performance. Listeners, if you haven't, go listen to that uh, right after the podcast. He performs the whole album and answers a bunch of questions. He even says the album is not a concept album. So is there anything that we, he says people make con concepts about it, but he's, he's says it's just chronologically, this is, college years and young adulthood years and so can we gleam any lessons or concepts or uh well that's a good question i i agree it's not as consistently thematic as the last couple albums we've talked about but i do there's a sort of i don't know to say coming of age is maybe cheesy because he's a little older than ben but you know, after college, that sort of transition into real adulthood, um, there's a certain level of disillusionment, I think, that you can take away from, from these songs. Um, for sure. I hear that in the em that, employment, employment pages when he's looking for his first job, right? And you, you can't find it. He's expecting to find a job. He's living with his girlfriend in Seattle. Like, what is this uh, related to that? And, and myself and then search for employment coming out of college. Yeah. And... Yeah, so there's there's the um, sort of search for place in society or purpose, you know, and some of that is is sort of mundane, like literally looking to find a job, right? Um, and some of that is is maybe more sort of bigger picture, you know, about your place in society or in the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of references to relationships, usually ones that don't really work out. So, you know, finding the person you're supposed to be with or, you know, pursuing love and fulfillment and purpose. Um, I think that kind of goes through a lot of these songs. And it's interesting to me. And this, I, I think this kind of goes through most of their songwriting. Uh, I'd have to go back and listen to newer stuff again to see if this really holds up in their later records. But one thing that Ben Gibbard does a lot is take things, and I think it's at the, in, like in trying not to be cliche about being heartbroken or sad or, you know, disillusioned. Um, he, does, he does this thing lyrically where 
he pays really close attention to seemingly really mundane things. And it has this kind of distancing effect. And I, I've, always, I've always had the feeling that they, whether it's intentional or not, it's a very like, I don't know if cerebral is the right word, but there's like an, a focus on the intellect, right? Thinking through, noticing these specific details. There is rarely a mention specifically of emotion. I feel sad or angry or upset. It's all, it's all in the details. Um, yeah, so it very, has that, very it, objective. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's his like science background. I heard him talk about, he worked in a lab. Yeah. Right. So if it's just not to go scientist studies, but if he's just studying people in life, like a science experiment, it's very objective. Yeah. Um, a way to sort of object, not objectify, but to be objective about what is ultimately a subjective experience. Um, and in a way to, uh, to kind of make sense of it. And actually I, I think there's a connection too, and I don't, I don't, he would be an absolute genius if he was doing all this on purpose. I think some of this stuff just happens subconsciously or, or maybe by accident, but I feel like those, you know, the layered guitar parts that we've been talking about, the way that they're kind of um, broken, it's not like a, a fluid strumming pattern that, that you would typically hear. Well, they even um, broken chords, what he's playing a lot of times. They're not even a full chord. No. No. Um, and to me, that kind of emphasizes that sort of scientific or rational versus the emotional, right? So it, it kind of enhances to me that sort of distanced thing where it takes, it takes some time to think through it and understand it. You know, it's, it's not... And maybe this is just for me, but it's not the kind of album like you're going to hear a song. I mean, they have, the songs have tones. I mean, you know, I think of No Joy in Mudville. Like you hear the, the first couple of chords of that and you're like, okay. You got like, it. I, get, I, I know what the tone of this song is going to be. But it's not like, you know, like you said, you know, a song in E minor that you know is going to be a sad song because that's just how those chords work, right? The, this, this album and most of their music doesn't quite work that way. Cool, great points. Well, Chester, what's, what's, what stands out to you on this album? What's your favorite? And I think you, I think you know my favorite, but listeners, right? If, if I can hear it, <laughs> Company Calls Epilogue, I think it's the, Perfect song, not only for Death Cab, it's one of my favorite tracks, I think, of all tracks. For some reason, the imagery grabs me, the story, the reverb you're talking about. So when you're talking about his distance from, from these songs, the way he's describing it, I think about the literal lines he's using his, right, that the kept the distance from here that connects back to the keep my distance from the title track. Well, just the way... He, even in the objectivity, he, he, the plastic figures on the wedding cake were so real. So this plastic that almost seems fake or pretend, these toy version of people getting married, right, were so real. And the speakers, not quite disillusionment, but almost like rejection of what's happening around him, he, that he didn't do enough, that he didn't catch her. And, and I love this story, the whole fact that he's got this description of boys 
wearing bow ties, chasing girls around and say, I'll catch you this time, throwing it in his face, the speaker's face, because he's failed, right? He hasn't told her she's the one. And so maybe that emotional distance that you're talking about, it grabs me, right? And I don't, I don't necessarily regret, but you feel a little bit of tinge. And even when he's describing the fish will swim upstream because there isn't a pension for second best. Like you got to be the one, you got to find the one. Yeah. And, and even though that's objective in a way, I feel a little bit of emotion. So you feel the story in that, in that like, yeah, he's dressed up for free drinks and family greetings, but he's just kind of going through the motions. And what if, what if he had said something? He wouldn't be there on this day. This day wouldn't even be happening. But you, you feel that. And the fact that he says one of his favorite songs ever written, I understand why, right? Because it, it grabs me as a listener. So that was one of the first songs that I heard within that. Like I said, the story and the reverb. So now what you, what you mentioned before, but the reverb creating some of that distance too within the song. So musically too, you get that distance and you're like, oh, okay. I, I feel a little bit of pain, but it's like not wanting to admit there's pain. Yeah. Yes. I agree with all of that. And I, I, this is an, this is a song that if I'm honest, I didn't appreciate nearly enough at first. There are a handful of songs that stuck out. And like I said earlier, just what my taste in music was before this, the stuff that sounded a little more like a rock song or that had a more accessible like hook, you know? So songs like this and no joy in mudville and little furry bugs and, the, those, and, and even employment pages in the beginning, those ones didn't stand out to me enough. Uh, and so listening to them more as I've gotten older, I appreciate them a lot more. Um, with the company Calls Epilogue, uh, he prefaces, I mean, the first, the first phrase, synapse to synapse. It's like he's prefacing this whole thing. All right, these are, it's just the, the chemical firings in my brain Yes. But I'm having all these feelings and all these memories, you know, so he's, it's this weird, like couching of almost like he's afraid to seem too sentimental or too, I don't want to say he doesn't want to be too authentic, but I feel like that's, that's something that seems like it went through grunge music and, and indie music. There's a lot of uh, distancing and irony and it's it's hard i think some of it was just you know artistically a reaction to what had come before you know so many songs for so long were so cheesy and so in your face like i love you and i want to hold your hand and it was too obvious right right but sometimes i feel like the 60s beatles right right early beatles yeah um so anyway he 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 prefaces it with this I'm going to intellectualize. This is just the science. Again, the science of it. I can't help it. I can't help the science of how my brain processes all these thoughts and feelings. Um, and there, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in that song that's, uh, that is really well done. Even just the rhythm of the vocals and his melody with, with the, uh, with the music. It's it, like I said, it, it's, um, it's not maybe as accessible, but like, like most of the fine things in life, right? It takes a, you know, it's an acquired taste. So great description. You know, af yeah. After, a, after more listens, you, you know where those sort of changes in the lines are coming and changes in the song. And 
One thing I, I noticed too about this song, the themes of weddings come up fairly consistently. And you wonder if that's just young adulthood, like he's describing, so it's rite of passage. Right, well, for... right, but I'm, I'm talking about um, over the course of their career. There's a oh. song on, on transatlanticism, but it's about a wedding and um, kind of the disillusionment. Uh, they talk about like, uh, the, like a wedding vase uh, in the corner falling and breaking, you know. And then there's a song on Narrow Stairs, Kath that yeah. is basically like Kath. She didn't think she could do any better. <laughs> so she's settling. I mean, it's, and then, you know, on transatlanticism, the sounds of settling, it's not yeah. explicitly a marriage thing, but those kind of ideas run through uh, so much of their music and his lyrics. And they're definitely on display in, in this song and on this album. All right, what, what was your favorite track? Well, one of my absolute favorite Death Cab songs is 405. It's, and maybe it's the easy one to pick on this album, but it's... Um, I wouldn't say easy, a lot of, a lot of good ones, but it's great, yeah. li great live, a couple of times I've heard it too. Yeah. There's, a, there's an acoustic version that, I don't know if it was bootlegged or if it was on, I, I think it was on the Forbidden Love EP or maybe it was on a different EP. I should know more about which, which EPs and stuff things were on, but I just had everything on Napster when I was in college. <laughs> so it was just like in one big chunk. But there's an acoustic version that has these really great harmonies in the, uh, in the opening and the outro. Um, but the melody is beautiful. The imagery is really great. Um, there are some lines that, that really, um, that I could connect with personally. You know, the idea of, uh, and I know he told that story on, on the, uh, the live stream, right? But he was dating someone who, I guess their parents were Mormon, right? Yeah. So they couldn't, they had to hide drinking and smoking. And that line, red wine and cigarettes, hide your bad habits underneath the patio, 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 yeah. which I've totally done, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had stuff under my, my parents' back deck when I was you know, when I was home from college during the summer and stuff, you know, sneaking around. And, and it's interesting too, to me, knowing that he wrote these songs when he was, when he was a young adult, only about what I presume would be three or four years before that, if even that long ago, right? But it has not, this, maybe not, I mean, maybe immediately maybe, before. Maybe 98, 99, right? I mean, right. Yeah, just a year or two before that. Um, but again, they do, they have a, a distance to him that makes it feel like he's, you know, recollecting them from way back in the, you know, there's this kind of bittersweet, you know, there's a little pain, but there's also like this sense of nostalgia for that, um, which is interesting and maybe kind of strange to, uh, you know, evoke nostalgia about something that just happened. I don't know. I guess at that age, a year ago feels a long time right now, yeah. the older you get, the faster time seems to go. It doesn't. Sure. But. You know, four or five is a great song. I, I love the line. You keep twisting the truth, right? That keeps me thrown askew. So mm -hmm. throwing him off, right? Un unbalanced. He, he can't, even, can't even balance himself. He de doesn't feel like himself. He doesn't feel right. And this, the, obviously, the twisting the truth grabs me. And obviously, he's hidden things that she's doing, what he mentions on, it, on his YouTube um, presentation but 
even I, even I really in like a line. The line. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I like the shirt line too. The wrinkled up from yeah. pulling, pushing, and tasting. Pulling, put so push pull in their yeah. own relationship. I feel like with the shirt. That's an that's an interesting you know, and I'm just thinking about this now. I. I gave a Death Cab album, it was Transatlanticism, but to uh, a guy that I went to high school with that I knew liked a lot of the same music. Um, he's the one that told me about Elliot Smith. Uh, and, you know, radio, we were, we've gone to Radiohead shows and stuff together. After he listened to it, he was like, he was like, these lyrics are so literal. Hmm. You know, he was like, you know, title and registration, right? It's literally, he finds a picture in a glove box and yeah. just talk, like there's rain coming down and, you know, which in some places I think is true, but I also think it's, it's not to say that just because something is sort of direct and, and almost mundane, that there's not, uh, it's not representative of a bitter, bigger, you know, thematic or more philosophical truth. And I, I think Death Cab is really interesting in the way that they, well, Ben Gibbard specifically writing the lyrics, um, they weave sort of clearly uh, metaphorical figurative language with what could be literal stuff, right? So like the opening, yeah. I took the 405 and drilled a stake down into your center. That's a great line. Yeah. Right? Now, what, it, what exactly does that mean? I mean, there's some kind of, you know, I don't know if it's staking claim or it almost gives me kind of a vampire thing. Like, yeah. This, you like... know, a stake through the heart. Yeah. Um, but then very literal lines they're hiding red wine and cigarettes under the patio. Like that's just the thing they did. Right. I missed the exit to your parents' house hours ago. Yeah. You know, so, so many lines are so direct and literal. And then you get these moments of like really almost surreal in some places, um, figurative language. I, and I think that's interesting. All right. Great points. Obviously enjoy the four or five the next time you spin it. Uh, which yeah. one song one song represents the overall album the best track if you had to pick what we have the facts and we're voting yes what is it one we've already mentioned what what's it for you you know that's that's interesting i think this one's harder to boil down to one song it might be 405 um I, there's part of me that wants to say scientist studies but i actually think that's more of a nod to what's going to come on the next couple albums than just what's on this one really i think the first company calls to me maybe it's more of a rock song but it has it has kind of the um the connection between the earlier stuff you know the influences we've talked about uh you know it's got that kind of built to spill modest mouse pavementy kind of thing with those layered guitar it's an it's an upbeat song it has I say upbeat, it's, it's faster paced. It's a little more of a rock song. It has like a chorus, which some, a lot of these songs don't actually have, you know, and it's got a little bit of uh, which actually, I guess if it has a chorus, maybe that makes it not the song that encapsulates the whole album. But I think, I think lyrically it does, right? Let's cut our losses at both ends and aim your car away from all our friends, leaving the dishes stacked in the sink, right? Again, easily let's just get the hell out of here yeah you know but he says it in such a sort of intentionally clear way um 
and then that detail about the dishes in the sink, right? That, and not to over, overanalyze or overintellectualize. Some of his lyrics remind me kind of of uh, Hemingway. Now I'm, we're totally we're totally doing English teacher crap here, right? So my students will hear this and they'll go, "Oh, iceberg theory," right? Um, but this idea that uh, one thing that he said was that the you know the best symbol is a natural symbol, right? Which for him most of the time was literally something in nature, hills like white elephants or whatever. Right. But something that naturally comes up in the story, not making some elaborate metaphor just for the sake of sounding smart and intellectual, but use something that's already in the story as a symbol. And I feel like he does, Ben Gibbard does that a lot, taking you know fairly mundane things like dishes stacked in the sink. Well, what does that represent? Leave, obviously leaving things behind, right? The unfinished mm -hmm. business, right? The messiness, all that, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, the, that last line, and I know we talked about the epilogue version first, but that last line, your wedding figurines, I'd melt so I could drink them in. That is a creepy ass line. It and is. I, I love it, <laughs> but it leaves such a weird, um, and especially going from that into, into the epilogue. Is there, is there a song that you feel like encapsulates the sound and the vibe of this album? Probably not as deep as yours, but I would go with title track. Maybe just because it's the first sound when you ever you put on the album or, or CD. But I remember being enthralled with the lo-fi, like picked out non-chords and like, oh, what is this? Like an intrigue. Not I want to play it again, but I'm kind of curious. And then when it kicks in, the production kicks in with the, I tried my best to keep my distance. It's not keeping your distance. So I love the juxtaposition just with that, the sounds coming forward, but the lyrics are trying to keep distance. And for me, just because it sets up the relationships of college and young adulthood, that a lot of, I know it's not a con conceptual album like he talks about, but just the, for the time period, the relationships and maybe the different relationships from shared or cigarette, shave the hours off, right? So these insights, what you're talking about before with company calls, but then the tasting your lipstick on the filter, even though the group had begun to splinter. So tasting your lipstick, bringing them together, right? The shared experience, even though everything is dividing apart. So that division and shared experiences between people going their separate ways, literally, right? His, his friend group in Bellingham and just seeing them going separate ways, him going separate ways, Seattle and, and starting new and just trying to figure out we think about youth too, just how much wasted time, right? Shave the hours off, like who cares, right? It's only, it's only a couple hours. And then the, uh, the Im imagery of this relationship hookup, he doesn't even have to say it, right? Tripped into the guest room, same thing, just a strip it, guest room, like uh, he tripped into the guest room. Okay, yeah. we, we got it, it's perfect, right? So I think you could go Hemingway with that. With that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and actually, now that you say that, I, I think that's probably a better pick than what I said, but... No, uh, honestly. <laughs> I think as a first song on the album, it sets things up really well. I mean, you, you mentioned that lo-fi, and it's not just a, like a couple of measures, no. right? It's the oh, whole verse. first verse and chorus until you get the second, at the beginning of the second verse is when it comes into the full stereo 
version of the of the song and that's that's interesting uh it but it's really so is. cool at the time yeah. time i never it, like whoa i wasn't expecting that so yeah. listener you're right oh okay this is lo-fi almost like am radio indie radio the whole way through and like whoa what just happened with the production mm -hmm. yeah and it, it makes you so aware of that sound uh when it does come on and i think i think that says okay pay attention to all to all these sounds that we've layered through you know so many of these other songs and the the imagery like you said in that first song in title track mm -hmm. you know there's some things that are fairly clear you know the idea of a picket fence right you know again that sort of traditional american family but lines that seem really straightforward you know the very first line left uninspired by the crust of railroad earth that touched the lead to the pages of your manuscript i mean it's an it's an interesting way to say that yeah. uh, and there's something weird about the phrasings but you get that sense of you know creativity versus sort of not just manual labor but just like work you mm -hmm. know kind of the mon mundane work versus the creative outlet kind of thing and that's intention Agree, and he's, he's fighting it the whole way and kind of leads into employment pages too, right? Where he's looking for jobs, but he'd rather be playing with the band. Yeah. And I, I think title track two also, um, I think it's more representative of what Death Cab as a whole band ended up doing. I think, you know, like what they're known for uh, more widely. Um, it sounds more to me like stuff that's on the photo album and and again themes that go across albums that idea of tasting the lipstick on the filter the first song of the photo album steadier footing he mentions a very similar thing about sharing a cigarette with uh someone who you could assume he had had romantic feelings for before but didn't make a move uh or I, actually he might say that directly that he didn't make a move so it's pretty clear um, and then the idea of the alcohol, right? right? This sort of, again, overly, not even oversimplified way to describe a party or unemotional way to, to describe a party. Like parties are supposed to be exciting and fun. And it's, he, he, you know, he describes it in such a sort of flattened way uh, to make sure you really understand it, that it's not, again, not that emotional, but the, the sort of more intellectual reflection on it um and then like you said the uh the guest room or no? yeah the guest room oh the very, the last, very line. last line tripped yeah. into the guest room okay. yeah um which echoes stuff that's going on in the photo booth you know the song the photo booth yeah he talks about um all their clothes on the ottoman our clothes in a pile on the ottoman right he those details not to compare Ben Gibbard to Hemingway, but right. right, it's the details that lead the 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 audience or the reader to that inference, right? Showing and not telling, right? It's one of those right. classic sort of writer cliches, but yeah. So I agree. Title track, and then are there any other songs that that resonate that you want to well, kind of dig into a little? You bit? already hit on four or five, right? It's a great song. That I mean, obviously resonates with me. So when I think about this album, I think Company Calls Epilogue. That we already hit on title mm -hmm. track four or five and then w within that for some reason either for what reason or scientist studies to go along with those i don't know 
just for me, I don't know what works with you, but the, the relationships too, with the for what reason you hear that, like you're almost fed up, right? That your apologies fail to ring true. So slick with that sarcastic slew of phrases like I thought you knew. So I, lo I love those lines, not only alliteratively, you just get that how he's fed up, right? And almost disillusioned like you're talking on earlier, like while wow, keeping me in hot pursuit, like, oh, I've been tricked. Like, what have you done? What are you, are you blindfolding me in a, in a way? And tracing the plot finds what we were talking about connection and lack of connection you're talking about before in the creative, uncreative aspect of work. And I get this here too, tracing the plot line finds skin touching skin, the connection, but then absence follows. So that emptiness or absence is gone after that. So that when the connection disappears, physically, maybe even just literally, the emptiness or the absence that's, that's filling him up. The, the scientist studies. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and on, on for what reason, and I don't know if, again, I don't think it's intentional, but he seems very um, interested in storytelling, right? He mentions tracing the plot. Yeah. He's clearly very aware, aware that it's a story um, but again, distancing himself as if they're characters, right? There's a, there's a song on transatlanticism, but he talks about needing to open the book, break its weary spine to help remind myself. And in that, in that sense, it's kind of a book of memories, but that sort of, that idea of this all being a story with sort of characters to, uh, to think back on and reflect on I think carries through a lot of his, his songwriting too. What about you? Other, other tracks that we have? Well, yeah, you were about to mention it. Um, scientist studies. If, if we did a whole podcast about this album and didn't talk about scientist studies, Go for I it. feel, I feel bummed out. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite death cab songs. I think the lyrics are really interesting sort of rhetorical question. It opens with what ghosts mm -hmm. exist behind these attic walls. Again, not not to overanalyze that, but you know what things are haunting all of us, right? Whether it's you know memories or missed opportunities, the melody and just the the composition and the song, the sound of this this one has always. Um, this was one the first time I listened to this record, and probably because it's the very last song too. It just stuck with me for so long. You know, it, it really did kind of have that haunting hook in there. Yeah, now in the hook, but then in the last verse, a four-year offense to the devoted type, right? So you've got this judgment against against the speaker or, or you and the, what they left with that will leave our sins within the carpet twine. Our bodies will dissolve the chemicals in, in due time. So this lingering effect and what they're literally shave off. Yeah. And you, yeah, it goes from the, the four-year offense to the devoted type to I may have got an invitation, but I wasn't invited, which to me has to connect back to the com company calls thing, Yeah. right? Like, yeah, you invited me to the wedding or whatever celebration, but I think we both know yeah. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have been there. I didn't belong. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because of that, you know, it, it, it's kind of taught it. It makes a case 
not makes a case for like it's defending it, but it, it kind of ex an explanation of how those things can affect someone into making bad decisions, you know, specifically talks about addictions, um, kind of the, the, the ways that we have to cope with those kind of emotional, not emotional missteps, but, you know, just struggles, yeah, with, you know, with broken hearts and new addictions. Yeah. Yeah. Our bodies will dissolve the chemicals in due time. Yeah. Well, and, and all the imagery too, um, of in the first one, just about literally being in an apartment that's so cold that you have to sleep in your, <laughs> in your coat and your stocking cap. Like and, you literally can't afford the heat. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think he mentioned this in his talk too, but it's, it seems pretty clear just from the lyrics. It's literally about not paying and I think it, I think he did, he explained that there was some kind of something else that their landlord wasn't doing that they were supposed right. they hadn't fixed some stuff so you know they weren't going to pay and then they shut the heat off or whatever and it was kind of a standoff but um, again a relatively that part of it is a relatively mundane I mean it could be an interesting story but it's like we're fighting over rent but it encompasses all of that emotional stuff you know, the rejection or longing or, you know, coping that, that he's going through or trying to go through all in that at the same time. And I think that's, uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting thing. And it's, it's layered. All right. When we look, you can grab your own vinyl copy or CD or whatever you're looking at at home. And when you think about the artwork, what do you, what do you notice? I know that Ben Gibbard said to just a friend did their artwork. They didn't do it themselves. And they kind of just worked it out with him. Obviously the, what grabbed my attention were the colors at the bottom. And if you slide your vinyl lyric sheet out, right, you'll see that the yellow and, and green and different colors on the, on the bottom. Other, otherwise it fill in the dots on the front of the album. But that's just what grabbed my attention when I first saw the album. Any thoughts on the artwork? I don't know that there's a lot to like analyze from it thematically or anything. It's a, it's a cool, I mean, it looks cool and I like it partly because it's one of the images that when I really figured out who death cab was, I kept seeing that album cover. You've got these guys, these people running, running. Yeah. you know, they got their short shorts on, they're going <laughs> for a run, um, which implies, you know, some kind of movement. Um, and then the artwork on the rest of the album you know, there's a guy that looks like he's kind of in a tracksuit. He's got kind of a 70s, almost like some uh, sideburns, something going sure. on there. Mm -hmm. There's another guy down here that could be doing yoga, could be doing martial arts. Martial arts. A... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I don't know if you noticed on the back, and this actually looks more either yoga or mm -hmm. a gymnast, maybe yeah. stretching, um, which is interesting because there is nothing about death cab no. that seems athletic or, <laughs> you know, physically active <laughs> in that, in that way. So I don't know if that's just some kind of ironic, I, I they probably didn't think about it too much. They just go, well, it looks pretty cool. You know? No. Yeah. <laughs> Not as much as the last couple albums that we've talked about as the artwork, but it's cool. Nonetheless, right? I, yeah. I like, I like the colors. All right. Since you're a resident death cab expert, what's the best, death cap for cutie show that you've ever seen oh man 
a couple. Maybe you can't pick just one. I understand, but stand yeah, out, stand out shows or moments. I think I've seen Def Cab eight times, maybe. Well, one moment that pertains to this album that I I remember, uh, I saw them, and actually this because it, it came from a little bit of frustration. I saw them in Memphis in I want to say twenty ten or maybe two thousand nine. It's when I was living in Nashville and I saw them in Memphis and they played a great set. And then the next, maybe five days later, I saw them at the Ryman and they played almost the exact same set. So I was a little frustrated that they didn't vary it up more, but one, one variation they did make was they played title track and it was the first time that I'd heard that live. So that, that was a cool moment. Probably, man, there's three that that all were awesome. One, when we saw him at Bonnaroo, that show. That that would be my my favorite. I've only seen him probably five or six times, but yeah, I'd say Bonnaroo is the best. Uh, And that was after, that was after Plans. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, the most kind of hits. And they they played an awesome set. And it was was a little bit hot. Because we got what, movie script ending even? Yeah. I think so. Um, I have to go back and look at the set list. I I remember more of the plan that they played a lot of planned stuff. I remember hearing your heart is an empty room and crooked teeth and, uh, and stuff like that. I saw him one time in Austin at Stubbs barbecue. And uh, do you know the band stars? No, they're Canadian. I think. They, I think they might have been on the, I could just be making this up, but they had some connection with Broken Social Scene, I feel like. Maybe they were on a similar label at some point, but anyway, they're a great band. They opened for Death Cab, uh, and then, and it was, it's an outdoor venue, like behind, literally just behind this barbecue place. Uh, so it was out, it was outside, the weather was beautiful. It was like November in Austin, so it was, <laughs> it was perfect. It was like 70 degrees when the show started. But they just, they played such a great set and the atmosphere was amazing. And then I saw them here in my hometown in Tulsa at the, the historic Canes Ballroom. And that was later than that. That might've even been after we saw them at Bonnaroo. But the highlight of that show, they did, they did We Look Like Giants for their encore. And Ben Gibbard brought out his own little miniature drum set and did his own like drum solo and they kind of switched instruments. And it was, it was a cool, it was a cool jam. Cause I'd seen them do that on their, on their DVD before. So I knew it was a thing that might happen at some point, but to actually get to see that live was really, it was really, really cool. Cool. Yeah. Bonnaroo show. I remember they played movie script ending. I think we got two songs I was looking from this album. We got four or five and then company calls. Yeah. I think they play company calls fairly often as one of the songs from this album and and 405 i think that's kind of a fan favorite are they pretty comedy calls epilogue is pretty rare uh i don't think i've ever seen it live i I haven't i don't think so yeah i think they have kind of a standard two or three songs from each of the early albums that they that they're always ready to play uh especially more recently so chesser it's been 20 years since you found that record sitting in, in the record shop. 
Yeah, well, not 19. I was slow on the draw, but <laughs> okay. Yeah, 19, 2001. Yeah. Uh, so after so much time has passed, um, what kind of reflection do you have on it now? It's cool when uh, the live at home, live from home series of Ben Giver did that we were both watching and texting about. And so it's, I'm glad that when he started going back and do these these full albums, it's what made me want to pull out this album again. Well, just from I was probably being ridiculous fan i was like play company calls epilogue right so finally when he played the full album like at least i'll get to hear it and i may not be in the same room i didn't realize how close we were in age when he talked about chronologically so that's why i think about this 20 years and then i guess i'm one year older than him but crossing to college looking for jobs in 98 and then Citing my first corporate job wasn't for me because so going back to grad school in 2001 and then finding this album, I kind of, so the employment pages resonated with me. And so that distance, but only that, that spacey reverb sound at the end, I liked. So I, after being in the corporate world and then feeling, I found maybe something worthwhile people would say, but that nothing worthwhile line stuck a chord with me. And then so finding that CD is like, oh, cool. Someone else is truly failing i guess right it's like <laughs> not in a bad way but someone else truly failed too like I, I truly failed and so the reality of entering that real world they are we always talk about as teachers now parallel to some of my own experiences so it was cool and i wish i would have gotten to on the photo album the year after or whatever why i don't know why i didn't but then coming picking back up with transatlanticism and comparing that less polished and more live lo-fi college radio sound that I really liked on this album. I love Transatlanticism too, so not, not, no disservice to that album, but really the juxtaposition between those two sounds. I really like this uh, lo-fi lack of chord structure on this layered that you talked about before. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad, even though the artwork may not have as much meaning, I'm glad they had the colors that caught my eye and like, hey, what's, what's this? Being able to connect a message and what Ben thought at the time. What about you? You're, you're our expert on here. What do you think about the album on its 20th year anniversary? Well, for me personally, it's, it's interesting because I didn't catch it when it first came out. Uh, it was f like five years after that. Yeah, I mean, I want to say I didn't really ever listen to this album until 2005 or 2006. And it's interesting kind of in your memories, the way that things blur a little bit. So I have, I have this weird kind of, it's almost like retroactively, a lot of these songs have been attached to certain memories, you know, from when I was in college and going through some of this similar stuff. Uh, you know, I mentioned that line from the 405, hide your bad habits underneath the patio. You know, I've, I have done that, right? That line about, you know, I could taste your lipstick on the filter, right? I was never a big smoker, but in college, you know, you see a cute girl who's smoking and you, you know, share a cigarette. So it's, it's interesting to me that those, some of these songs, even though I didn't know them at the time, I associate them with certain memories I have, you know, that experience of being sort of that age, trying to transition from, you know, a kid in college and, sort of partying and, you know, trying to figure that out into a more adult, responsible kind of, you know, purposeful life or whatever. 
Great points. All right, uh, any parting shots for us? And then we'll let you take us out. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode, listeners. Uh, any parting thoughts and just take us out. I don't, I don't know, man. I think we've said it all. Okay. Just, yeah. Just a lot of really, a lot of really great songs that I, that I love a lot. And it's, um, I'll say too, I really am enjoying talking about some of this music because it's, it's given me a reason to, to reflect on some of these albums. I mean, if you had told me before we decided we were going to talk about this one, like rank my favorite Death Cab albums, this would have maybe been fifth. Okay. You know, so of, of what, albums what are, that. What are the top four? <laughs> well, I, I might want to change it now that okay. we've, but I think this is part of the reason that for such a long time, I, you know, I was adamant that they were my favorite band because over so many albums, I connected with so much of the, the stuff. Uh, my personal favorite is the photo album. There's just so many great songs and great lines. And, uh, and I've used songs from that album teaching. I was a kaleidoscope, all the imagery in that. I, I used to use that in, in my English classes as just examples of, you know, metaphor and imagery and stuff. Uh, and tone, we did like a tone activity on that. Um, cool. That and transatlanticism, plans. See, Plans was in the moment. I bought that the day it came out. So I have a very specific memories from a certain summer. You know, we didn't have jobs for the summer. I was taking nice. intercession classes. And when I get done with classes, we'd all go to the pool and play volleyball in the pool and drink really cheap beers, you know. And, uh, and I listened to a lot of Plans that summer. But uh, this one. And I, I think I, uh, because I like their first album a lot, I... I associate this one pretty closely with the photo album. And so because I like the photo album more, I would pick that one up. If I wanted the really lo-fi sound, I would go to the first album, something about airplanes. But this, this really made me, it gave me an opportunity to really just focus on this on its own and not as kind of an in-between. So, so that was cool. All right, Chesser. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking music with me again. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll do it again in another week or so. You guys have a great one, and we'll see you next time.